Welcome to the World War I History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial, a museum and research center dedicated to preserving and presenting the history of General Douglas MacArthur, which includes the story of World War I and that of the millions of men and women who served in that war. Pope Benedict XV and the Great War Giacomo Paolo Giovanni Battista della Chiesa was born on November 21, 1854, in the suburbs of Genoa, Italy. He was the third son born into an Italian family of minor nobility. As a young man, della Chiesa was determined to become a priest, but his father was determined that he study law instead. At the age of 21, he earned a doctorate in law and once again pressed his father to be allowed to enter the priesthood. At this point, his father relented, only insisting that his son study at a seminary in Rome, not in Genoa. If he was not to follow the career path his parents preferred, both of his parents wanted him to become a prince of the church instead. Rome was the best vehicle for that. Genoa, his parents feared, would only provide their talented son with a path to becoming an obscure provincial priest. In August 1878, Della Chiesa was ordained in Rome. He went on to work in the papal diplomatic service, where his talents as a diplomat were quickly recognized. Four years later, he found himself the personal secretary of Bishop Mariano Rampolla, serving then as the papal nuncio to Spain. During this time, he helped to negotiate the German-Spanish Treaty of 1899, in which the German government acquired the Caroline and Mariana Islands from a Spain seriously weakened by the Spanish-American War. After 14 years in Spain, Rampolla was recalled to Rome and was created a cardinal. Cardinal Rampolla then became the papal secretary of state and Della Chiesa remained his secretary. Della Chiesa was a rising star, but this was not enough for his mother. On one occasion, she cornered Cardinal Rampolla and complained that her son was not advancing in rank quickly enough. Responding to the ambitious mother, the cardinal explained, Senora, your son will take only a few steps, but they will be gigantic ones. In 1908, Della Chiesa took one of these gigantic steps when he was made Archbishop of Bologna by Pope Pius X. The next gigantic step came seven years later, on May 25, 1914, when he became a cardinal. At this point in his career, Della Chiesa had made a name for himself as a diplomat, a reformer of education, and as a humanitarian. When World War I began in the summer of 1914, he was quick to realize the difficult position both Italy and the Church would be in. Italy was technically allied with Austria-Hungary and Germany, but throughout the young nation there was a sense of rising nationalism. Some regions were virulently anti-German, while others still had close ties with the Central Powers. The Catholic faithful spread throughout Europe on all sides of the conflict, meaning that the Church was in danger of being torn apart if it took or didn't take a side. With these tensions bubbling under the surface within Europe and within the Church, Della Chiesa took to the pulpit to outline a role for the Church during war. His beliefs were simple. The Church would be absolutely neutral. It would commit itself to the cause of peace and to the relief of suffering, no matter who was fighting or who was suffering. Another gigantic career step, however, was just around the corner. Just weeks into the war, on August 20, 1914, Pope Pius X died. 
A cardinal for all of three months, Delicasa joined the resulting conclave to elect a new pope. The cardinals assembled debated whether to elect an experienced diplomat as pope in order to cope with the war, or to elect a more theologically minded leader. The debate was short. On September third, nineteen fourteen, Delicasa, the proven diplomat, was elected pope by the College of Cardinals. Taking the name Benedict the Fifteenth, he immediately began looking for ways to intervene in the conflict. Neutrality was still his priority, and he had reasons for wanting peace and a return to the general status quo in Europe. An Allied victory could mean that the Russian Orthodox Church would be able to impose the Orthodox faith on Central Europe. Alternatively, a victory by the Central Powers could mean the destruction of Catholic France. On November first, nineteen fourteen, as the race to the sea was in progress along the Western Front, the Pope issued his first encyclical. In it, he wrote, "On every side, the dread phantom of war holds sway. Day by day, the earth is drenched with the newly shed blood and is covered with the bodies of the wounded and of the slain. Sorrow and distress swoop down upon every city and every home. Day by day, the mighty number of widows and orphans increases." Trade is at a standstill. Agriculture is abandoned. The arts are reduced to inactivity. All are in distress. He concluded the encyclical with an appeal for peace. Grant, O Lord, peace in our day. It was a sincere plea, but it fell largely on deaf ears. The war continued, and his overtures for peace were politely but firmly rejected. The mounting slaughter did little to sway the leaders of the belligerent nations either. Between September and December 1914, Germany lost more than 100,000 men killed in action. Within the British Expeditionary Force, battalions that had started the war with a thousand men were down to dozens of men and very few officers. French losses were equally as devastating, and all sides could also claim hundreds of thousands of wounded and missing. Alarmed by this savagery, leaders of neutral countries around the world also began calling for peace. As Christmas 1914 approached, however, Pope Benedict remained the most vocal advocate for peace. On December 7, 1914, in an official letter, Pope Benedict asked each of the warring nations to observe a Christmas truce, so that, in his words, the guns would fall silent at least upon the night the angels sang. The day celebrated as the birth of Christ, the Prince of Peace. Germany was more receptive to this idea of a truce than the Allies were, but ultimately the Pope's plea came to nothing. Small bands of soldiers on the Western Front organized unofficial truces during the first Christmas of the war, but even a temporary peace would prove beyond the Pope's diplomatic skills. The Pope would also try and fail to get Germany and Austria-Hungary to intercede with their Turkish ally over the Armenian genocide. There were some successes, however. In November 1914, the Pope managed to convince both sides to exchange prisoners of war who were wounded and would not be able to fight again. As the war continued, he was also successful in helping to ease the sufferings of displaced civilians. By intervening on their behalf to find new safe homes for them away from the fighting, he also set up a special office in the Vatican to transfer letters between prisoners of war and their families. This service also helped people find missing family members displaced by war.
All of his efforts were directed at either peace or at easing the suffering of the most vulnerable during the war, but it required a great balancing act from the diplomat-turned-pope. As the situation worsened in Europe in 1916, the Pope issued an encyclical aimed at the United States. In it, he described the plight of the children of Belgium and asked the people of the United States to help feed these children. Actions like this, however, tended to alienate him from the central powers, who complained bitterly that he claimed to be neutral but was secretly a pawn of the Allies. This criticism of his neutrality and true interests was also present on the Allied side. In 1915, the Allies, now including Italy, secretly agreed to ignore papal peace overtures. The Italian government, fearing that the Pope's commitment to peace would sap the enthusiasm and fighting resolve of the Italian people, did much to undercut the Pope's appeals and worked to completely exclude him from any potential post-war settlement conference. Despite this general trend towards political marginalization, Pope Benedict issued another appeal for peace in 1917. In a letter to all combatant states, he outlined a seven-point plan for peace with justice. Among his demands, he called for the destruction of armaments, freedom of the seas, a mechanism for international arbitration, a renunciation of war indemnities, a return to pre-war borders, and for a panel of diplomats to examine territorial disputes. France and Germany rejected the overture immediately, but it was the Russian Revolution that distracted the rest of Europe. In the end, the Pope's peace note was rejected, as the combatants reevaluated the battlefield with Russia gone and with the entry of the United States in the war. President Woodrow Wilson would also reject this peace overture, but some of the Pope's seven-point peace plan would find expression in Wilson's 14 points. When peace finally came in November of 1918, Italy demanded that the Pope be excluded from the post-war settlement. Despite requesting to be allowed to submit a definition of peace for the Paris Peace Conference in 1919, the Pope was excluded. Support for this decision was relatively universal, with the other allies backing Italy's position on the issue. Pope Benedict's seven-year papacy was defined by World War I, a war that he later referred to as the suicide of civilized Europe. Denied a role at the Paris Peace Conference, he turned his attentions elsewhere. By his death in 1922, he had doubled the number of papal nuncios serving throughout the world. In doing so, he had carved out a new diplomatic role for the papacy that his predecessors would continue to follow. The papacy he had outlined was a moral humanitarian force in the world. Persuasion, not force, would be the diplomatic tool of the pope. The success of this persuasion, however, would depend as much on the charisma of the Pope himself as it would on the Pope's ability to persuade world leaders that he was truly a neutral party. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.